0: It's so interesting to see how many people, first of all, how many teachers tolerate people being on their cell phones in class, like while other people are doing scenes and things like that, but also how many people don't think that that's a problem.
1: Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer
0: and I'm Trevor Algod. And coming up in episode 249, you know. Every once in a while, we look around at our inside acting mailbag, the questions you guys send in, and we realize we've got a veritable treasure trove of brilliant questions to air and respond to and discuss on the show with you guys, and there's no better way to not only catch up, but to also show our appreciation for you, our listeners, than, you know, a good old-fashioned listener Q&A episode. So this week, we're covering topics such as being pigeonholed as an actor, how we might do some... You know at home practice of the craft going solo with it and what to look for in a class or teacher that's right or maybe not right for you so all that and more coming up in episode 249 stick around
1: Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors, which is now available in the iTunes App Store. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices and do a whole lot more, go right now to rehearsal.pro. IAP to learn all about the great new features in the newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's Rehearsal.Pro slash I-A-P.
0: Hello, sir. Hey, uh, quick welcome to our newest member in the membership, Mr. Matthew Edwards. Welcome aboard, brother. Really happy to have you. Thanks for joining the family. And uh, I really, really, really have been waiting since last week, AJ, to hear this young and restless story that you've got, that you've been sort of holding on to for the past couple of episodes. So so fill us in, man. What, what's going on here?
1: Well, I thought we'd be further along in said story. So that's uh, part of the reason why I wasn't sharing it. Um, and the other thing is, like, I don't know how many details I can share because for some reason, uh, soap operas can be really, they're almost like auditioning for like a Marvel or DC Comics television show or movie like every time I go in for one of those I have to like sign an NDA or whatever and this wasn't quite as intense but you know it's still like they send you like a fake scene to audition with and all the names are changed um because I guess people are really crazy about this like they they want to know what's coming up in the shows and um these shows obviously have had a enormous following for years and uh, it, it continues so the the sort of start of this story is that the they had sort of a changing of the guard there and the former VP of drama for the BBC took over as the um, showrunner if you will of the show and I guess because of his past experience and because he's not necessarily uh, from the United States and because he's just like interested in trying new things he he wants to sort of like, you know, maybe take things in a different direction, try different things out. And this really gave me hope because I don't think I have a soap opera look. I'm not really like the, you know, stereotypically handsome white boy next door um, or like even really like the Latin lover or something. Like, I don't know exactly where I fit into the uh, ecosystem as it has existed up to this point. But if there's somebody who's interested in taking things in a different direction, trying some new things out, that kind of thing, maybe I actually have a chance or or a shot. So I got an email saying, hey, there's a role that sounds like it would be up your alley based on your energy issue because this is somebody who knows me really well personally, professionally. And, um, you know, she didn't use the word energy, but that's kind of how I, um, paraphrase the the email. Like, I think you would be really, you know, right for this, for this role. And, um, you know, got the appointment, worked on the sides, went in, got there early. She actually pulled me into her office and we had an awesome conversation, caught up, talked about how she's been, talked about me, talked about the scene and the role, then went in knocked it out of the park. She gave me one note, did it again, left. Then I got another email saying, hey, you know, they're taking it in a different direction. This is the only, these are the only words we have, because as I was saying before, it's like this fake scene. So we have to make this fake scene work with this new direction they're taking the character in. And I know it's kind of antithetical to the words that are on the page, but I think if anybody can do it, it's you. So I will be going back again sometime soon. Not really a callback, because what I'm doing is I'm putting myself on tape for the producers, but essentially what she said in the beginning was that this audition process is one of the most generous to actors she's ever been a part of, where basically you go in, you put yourself on tape, the producers watch it, they give her notes. She brings you back, gives you the notes, works on the scene, puts you back on tape again, And then that's sort of the one that the producers use as your quote unquote audition. So first of all, it's all about relationships. Second of all, what an actor's dream to be able to work on something this much in television, no less. And third, uh, to be continued, right? The best is yet to come, hopefully because it would be the kind of thing I certainly would not disparage a job working every single day, for the most part, as an actor. Like, that would be amazing.
0: Power of relationships, man. Power of relationships. And I I gotta say, I've, I've worked on a few soap operas over the years, you know, a few little under five lines. I had a recurring role booked once, and they downgraded it to slot in some reality TV stars. I still got paid well, but I didn't get a chance to shoot multiple days. Uh, But I have to say that working on these soap opera sets uh, is actually really impressive. I am really impressed with some of these actors because they work so fast. Like, they get the script that morning, typically. They get to read it while they're getting their makeup and hair done. Then they get on set, and they've got a very tight window in which to shoot these scenes. And they've got multiple cameras, and they basically do... One read, just to sort of be with each other with it. So one read with the other actor for the very first time on your feet. Then they do one read for camera for rehearsals, uh, just to get all the movements and, and blocking and stuff right. And then they stuff their scripts in, like, in between like a couch cushion on set somewhere, and then they just go. And they usually shoot it in one or two takes, and then they move on. So... Sometimes it's kind of fun to sort of rag on the you know melodrama of soap operas and stuff, but if you look if you watch from the moment they get that script to an hour later with a finished product and the quality of the work they churn out, it is really really impressive. I have a whole new level of respect for soap opera actors after working on those those shows and so to hear that you're gonna be working on that i think number one you're gonna thrive because that's just how you that's how you roll a j you you love those you you are able to produce really high quality work under <laughs> ridiculously demanding circumstances. <laughs> time and time again, that's like your calling card. And number two, to hear that they're going to possibly go in a different direction and shake things up and do something different. It's really exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned the, the, the onset workflow, if you will, because that was another thing that she mentioned in her original email to me was... I think that this is the kind, I mean, she essentially said what you said about thriving. I think it's the kind of environment where, you know, you, someone with your sensibilities and your theater background and everything would actually, um, you know, do really well. Um, so, you know, it could be a really interesting combination of things that, you know, all comes together. And and I, I don't know, I, I was talking to Jasmine about it and she was like, you know, I think I think James Franco still goes back and does work on one of the um, you know one of the soaps because it just it's it's a way of sharpening his tools. Like it just keeps himself That's sharp a,
0: that way. No, that it's sounds like, like a, it sounds like a very James Franco thing to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and I he mean was that in like, a positive way. Yeah, he he, he was like going to um, UCLA or something to get uh get his degree I mean, we've t- we've talked about it on the podcast before but anyway um it's uh it, it, it is not i think yeah i think you're right Trev. i think that there's a a certain n- nose turning upwardness that happens when it comes to soap operas and and i i i don't know there's there's an interesting um, <clears throat> it's an interesting workflow to be managed there and and something that that, um, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be disparaged. It's uh, it's it's its own art form, if you will.
0: Yeah. And uh, my experience was that they are hardworking, talented professionals. I, I will never again uh, do do said nose turning upness <laughs> at, uh, at soap actors. I'm really impressed with them. Uh, and I had to uh, cut this segment from last episode for time, but to catch listeners up, you and Jasmine took a sort of impromptu vacation travel trip to uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Is that, Did I get the city right? Anchorage? Yes. And you, well, I you rented
1: that's that's where we flew into. Okay,
0: that's where you flew into, and you rented a minivan, and you slept in it, and you basically did three days of just sort of travel vacation, and... Uh, so how did it go? Give us the, the couple minute summary of, of what it was like to just get out of town and be in nature and see the retreating ice glaciers and, uh, and, and just be in the abundance mindset of, of, of giving yourself some time off from work.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was gorgeous. That's sort of what you and I talked about in the last episode was, you know, there were, there were moments where we were hiking through the forest and I just, you know, would stop and like put my hand on a tree and just be like okay like i need to like remember this and feel this and be grounded by this thing that's like so much older than i am <clears throat> we did it uh we did it on the cheap and and you know like you said s- slept in the back of a minivan and you know our our whole goal for so long has been about you know paying down debt and we ended up coming back um and after all the dust settles we should be in a better place financially now, you know than mm-hmm now than before we went, if that makes sense. Didn't check email, you know, came back to like 150 plus unread emails or whatever, right? Of course, it's going to happen. But we also came back really early on our last day off from work and spent the entire day just like uh, recovering, like lounging around, watching TV, still didn't touch our phones Um, because it would have been so easy to come back and and plug back in, you know? Yeah. Um, So... Anyway,
0: you know, one thing I've been slowly building the habit of doing in my life that I find so incredibly restorative is taking a day, a full 24 hours whenever possible to be phone and internet free. Uh, And sometimes the internet free part also includes like no Netflix, no Hulu, no, you know, Amazon prime or anything like that. Uh, But just when possible, like no screens. And I've, I've managed to do it a few times. And it's, it's 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 like an unbelievable experience it sounds i'm listening to myself talk and i'm thinking like this this sounds a little (laughs) ridiculous trevor like is this how bad it's gotten but i I would challenge anybody listening to give it a try and not number one see just how dependent we are and addicted we are to being available and and open to information all the time to to that we're addicted to that constant stream of information and also number two that if you can manage to pull it off for you know shoot for like eight hours you know it's to start just to see how amazingly magical it can really be
1: it's it's a cultural thing well actually i have a quick
0: question for you on this because i'm often confused about this is this just us getting older or is this like a are we like the last vestiges of a generation of people that knew what life was like without cell phones So, like, the question, like, you know how they say when people get older, they tend to appreciate the arts more and they tend to value natural, you know, spaces and and forests and parks and things more. And when you're young, you really don't give a shit about that stuff. But as you get older, that's a natural sort of thing that you start to value. But I'm starting to wonder if if the, the, the information overload, cell phone, you know, glowing backlit screen thing, is that something that we value less because we just knew what life was like without it and that kids these days growing up. They just have no interest in a life without that access to that stuff. What, what, what would you say to that? The, the, was that a clear question, first of all?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. The first part I was going to say, like, I, I, I was lucky enough to have a dad who, you know, did bring us camping and fishing and stuff. So I kind of have always had that appreciation. Thank goodness. Um, the time without screens, I, I, you know, they lend so much value and support to us. I, you know, I was thinking about this just today. Like, uh, you know, my my whole th- wor- like my word for this quarter. You know, we had our quarterly review, and I was talking about habits. So like I'm using Plant Nanny to make sure I drink enough water. You and I and, and Jasmine and a few of our listeners are on Habitica together. By the way, jump in, guys, we're having a, a ball in there. <clears throat> there's all these, you know, apps that help with productivity and stuff like that. And, and it's hilarious because there's even apps that turn off like your web browser so that you can't visit Facebook for like 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, two hours. Right? It's like we need a piece of technology to stop us from using technology. So Yes the the tools are supportive but I do wonder yeah I wonder if there is like a, an entire generation coming up now that's not necessarily going to know when it when it will support them to turn it off
0: Yeah you or know there's been more than a few acting classes that I've been in or that I've audited and typically I'm um, I tend to now be on the older side in my mid 30s of these classes so I'm usually in class with a lot of like young 20 something and and so on and so forth and I find it's so interesting to see how many people first of all how many teachers tolerate people being on their cell phones in class like while other people are doing scenes and things like that but also how many people don't think that that's a problem Like I I, like as soon as people want to disengage from their surroundings and whip out their cell phone, I mean, people are doing work in front of you in class and people are texting and I've been in meetings, you know, where it's like, this is a cherished space that we're all in and people are doing stuff on their phones. And I'm like, I I feel like it's weird because I feel like I'm the only person who has sort of negative feelings about that. (laughs) And so that's why I'm kind of wondering, is it just me getting older or is it me because I am older? Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, I really don't know what the answer is. And it's it's weird because I'm like I'm sitting here going, man, I, I hope that people would show respect or know when it's time to sort of, you know, unplug and. And the other thing that happens is it makes us reactive as opposed to proactive. And and as far as, like, creative beings, creative people, like the people who are hopefully listening to this podcast, like, it makes me go, okay, well, are they out there actually making stuff? Or are they out there – or are people out there just reacting to their inbox, reacting to applications, reacting to um, notifications?
0: Yeah. There's a a reason – A reason that these networks and and uh pieces of software and whatnot call their customers users
1: Mm. wow kind of of interesting right (laughs) (laughs) now i'm just sad the user generation Hmm. the used Uh,
0: and i'm trying hard not to sound judgmental here but it is something that i notice and i i i'm just like i feel like isolated in the world i'm like I, i can't tell you how many times i've looked up in a social situation and seen everybody on their phone. And I'm like, okay, either I'm actively being avoided right now, or this is like part of the social context now. This is just okay.
1: What I would say, uh, the, the sort of like, I don't know, the the final, our, our final act of defiance is like, if you're listening to this, if you're out there, you're an IP listener, sh- show the respect to your fellow artists not to be on your phone when you're in class together. And maybe someday there will come a time where, People will know, uh, either by your age or by the fact that you are a listener of IAP, <laughs> that that you that you are showing respect. You know what I mean? Like they'll see you not using phone, a phone, and if you're under the age of 30 or whatever, they go, "Oh, they must listen to inside acting."
0: Oh, I love
1: that. We're going to start a movement, baby. <laughs> there you go. Yeah,
0: we we'll have to partner with the uh, urban confessional movement. There. Yeah. Everything that Ben Mathis does is is awesome. We're so so aligned in that way. This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part also by VO2Gogo.com, the award winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training Four Years in a Row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start to get access to a free getting started in voiceover online class that you can take right now to help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. It will teach you everything you need to know from nothing all the way through getting started today. Uh, that course is awesome. It's free and you can find it at VO, the number two, gogocom slash start. All right, and we've got uh, three questions that we're excited to address on this episode. And the first question comes to us from Jesse. And by the way, guys, thank you for your patience. Many of these, a few of these questions, I think actually all of these questions came in weeks and weeks ago. We might even be in like the months and months territory with these. So thanks for hanging in there. Uh, Very excited to respond to these. So Jesse writes in and he says, uh, my question... Is about being pigeonholed as an actor. So this is a common concern and something that uh, uh, we talked about extensively with Mark Atterbury and a few other guests. Um, but but Jesse's take is a little bit different. He says, "What is?" He asks us, "What is your opinion on actors that take any role that comes their way?" Is it detrimental to do a lot of extra or featured work as an actor? So there's a couple questions here. Uh, and he says that could possibly lead to more extra work, but nothing else. And then do actors need to be concerned with going down this rabbit hole, being pigeonholed uh, as an extra or being pigeonholed um, in something that they feel is not their type? So he says, personally, I've recently produced my own short films. I've concentrated on making a solid demo reel instead of pursuing low-quality His words, low quality student films or casting calls for extras for fear of having crappy quality work or getting stuck in an extra type role. So is there a standard that you should hold yourself to as an actor when marketing yourself and your abilities? Uh, So, again, some things we've responded to in the podcast before, but I love these questions because they they force us to uh, us, you and me, AJ, but also our listeners to sort of see things in a different light. And uh, I really appreciate the question, uh, Jesse, because um, I think it is a common thing, no matter what level of your career you're at, opportunities are going to pop up where you're going to wonder if, am I sort of still in this phase or am I ready to move on? And do I want to keep playing the same exact role? I mean, what comes to mind is Robert Downey Jr. How many times has he played Iron Man? like six and I know for a fact I've read interviews and seen him say this in interviews that he's sick to death of playing Tony Stark he is so over it and he's been trying to wriggle out of that contract since the third film the third or rather the third time he played Tony Stark he's sick of it um but he obviously keeps going back because what are they going to do recast Tony Stark I don't think so so um it's an interesting question no matter what sort of uh, phase of your career you're in uh kudos on producing your own stuff i think that's great especially for sort of showing people what you can do but as far as being pigeonholed as a type uh like i said earlier we've talked a lot a lot about this with mark atterbury and why it's such a valuable thing to understand uh how people see you and to really play to those strengths because that's how you can start to build a career for yourself as that guy or girl that man or woman that the, pe- the world sees you as and then from that reputation that you build your, for yourself, um, you can start to branch out uh, a little bit later and take the sort of more um, obscure or diverse roles. Uh, and then as far as uh, if you're maybe in the beginning of your career and you are you know afraid of taking extra work because you don't want to be seen as an extra all the time. I kind of personally think that's a non-issue. I'm not sure how you feel about that, AJ, but I feel like it's great to just get experience on a set. You never know who you're going to meet or who you're going to rub elbows with. And Jesse, forgive me if I'm sort of manipulating your question in a way that you didn't quite mean to ask it, but I think extra work is valuable, um, especially at the beginning. A lot of extra work, I think, is valuable because uh, you're going to learn a lot about how sets work. You're going to be able to meet people and you're going to be able to um, also just get a really good feel for, for the kind of work that you want to be doing, the kind of sets you want to be working on, the kind of shows you want to target and things like that. So that's, that's my from the hip answer. I responded to Jesse in an email and I said, you know, it it depends on a lot of things, your goals, where you are in your career, the experience you're looking for your brand. And, uh, really at the beginning, it's about just exposing yourself to as much work as possible and as many potential relationships as possible as possible. And then from there, it's kind of a an instinct thing. You, you kind of dance with it a little bit and say, "I don't feel like this is going to serve me" or "I feel like this will serve me" as each job kind of comes up for you. But I think I think knowing your type, whether you are, you know, the arrogant jock or you are uh, you are the spurned, you know, divorced housewife or you are the drug dealer next door or you're the crazy uncle or you know whatever your type is, knowing that will inform so many of these choices. So Um, Jesse, I have a feeling just based on what we've, what you've written that I have a feeling, you know, your type, (laughs) so, um, go let, let that guide you, I would say. All right, that's enough talking from me, AJ. What are your thoughts?
1: <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm gonna sort of break it down into the two parts here: the the, the extra work question, and then the um, the pigeonhole question. Um, in terms of the extra work thing, you know, first of all, just like we say on the podcast, like there's there's um, uh, so many different paths for people, and if you want to be, uh, you know, a bus driver because you feel like it is your um, Trevor, what do you what do you call it? Right livelihood to yeah. you know get get children to their you know from their homes to their education. Like there's zero uh, shame or judgment or whatever around that. And what I mean by that is there are people out there, and I know because I've seen them on set, who literally do extra work as their job, like for a living. They don't want much else. They want to be you know or 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 work as an extra on. Film and television, and and you know, to be honest, it is kind of a cushy gig. Like you show up on set, <clears throat> you sit down for most of the day, you get fed, and then you end up walking from you know one to B, right? Back yeah. to one to B, back to one to B, like over and over and over again for, and that's your day, like. And you're on different sets and you maybe see some cool stuff and meet some cool people and, and that's it. And so I'm like, all right, cool. Like, that's awesome. That's not necessarily what I want. But there are people out there who do that all the time. Um, so that's that's what I, I would say about that. There's no real way to get stuck necessarily doing that work. <clears throat> because unlike work that that is like scripted or work that, you know, uh, where you're getting paid to – to portray a role uh it's not like someone you know like it's not like a set it's not like the second pa or the second or sorry second ad on a show is gonna say like hey remember that extra that we had in the last episode like we should really bring that person back for this episode so the sort of networking friends of friend building relationships like that kind of thing i don't think it applies to extras um there are some really famous extras who are like the exception to that rule, but I really don't think that that's a thing. So there's, there's, in other words, there's no reason to worry. <laughs> Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. Um, and then as far as being pigeonholed, you know, I agree with everything that you said, Trev, and something occurred to me while you were talking and I, that I just want to sort of add on here that we may have, may have never really put uh, in this, in this way, but <clears throat> when you're building your real if we look at your reel as your opportunity to show people what you can do, showcase what, you, what you're all about and, and, and show the different roles that, that you can play, your reel is probably going to be or you know, hopefully an effective reel. And, and this is what I'm, I've been working on uh, a lot recently. Hopefully an effective reel is going to be comprised of various roles that fit you really well. And that may not necessarily mean that you're pigeonholed into a particular type. It may mean that as the, you know, Trevor, you were saying like what the arrogant jock or something like that. Maybe you play, you know, a football player and then maybe uh, in the next thing you play a frat guy. And then in the next thing you play a teenage runaway or something. Right. And it's just like it's elements of what you do really well, but it's not the same exact character, the same exact type. And you're right, we have talked about this from the sort of Mark Atterbury, yeah, get yourself pigeonholed type of way. But I guess what I'm talking – what I'm saying is like taking it a step further to allow people to like get out of the headspace of like, oh, I don't want to play the same thing all the time and being worried about that. Just know that it's just different variations of who you are. So if your reel is comprised of a bunch of different scenes and therefore different characters, different projects – that are sort of connected to or tangentially connected to who, what, what you bring to the table. That's a good reel. And those are the types of parts that you are going to be playing. It's not one character. It's not one type. It's a bunch of different characters that all fit into who you are or what you bring to the table. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Anyway,
0: that's my two cents. Wow, a lot to roll with there, Jesse. I hope that uh, was supportive. (laughs) A lot there to soak up, man. And by the way, Jesse, I'm looking at your website, and uh, it looks awesome, man. I love your your blog. It looks really cool. And it looks like, actually, in one of the earlier posts, you actually give a shout-out to Inside Acting. So thanks for that, man. The next question we wanted to respond to today comes from... We don't know this person's name, whether they're male or female, but they've written in several times. So A.C. A-C-C-R-A-W-E-R is the, the only name that we know this person by. But um, one of the questions they've recently asked us is, what are some different ways that I can practice acting alone? And I, I actually like this question a lot because I personally, Trevor, tend to Mm, like er on the side of introvert, um, I just I tend to be a little bit I get overloaded by social situations sort of easily, so I tend to spend more time alone and and I get most of my energy from solo activities, you know, making art on my own in my you know cave. Um, So this resonates with me because acting is a very collaborative, live, in-person with other people experiences, right? Like you're not just going to sit there and do monologues to your wall all day. Or are you? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I I wanted to kind of throw this to you, H.A., to respond to first because uh, I I have a feeling that you have some insight is how to go about working on um, your craft by yourself beyond just watching movies and reading plays
1: uh i i would hate for this to turn into an extended commercial for um uh for rehearsal pro but that's the way that i've been practicing by mm, myself
0: yeah, lately yeah.
1: you know is just having um having that recording and then being able to you know try out the lines in different ways over it um as i as i learn them so trying to get it uh, trying to get off book as robotically as possible meaning without any intention or inflection, uh, on my lines and then adding it slowly in as I learn my lines and trying out different things and what I think is the most effective and, uh, you know, uh, different choices and stuff like that. So there's always something like that. I mean, use a Use a recorder, use a camera, use a a voice recorder, maybe of some kind. Um, we've talked on the podcast before about filming yourself and seeing how you're how you're coming across. Because one of the most challenging things I think as an actor is when you make a choice and then you get some kind of redirection that it's not coming across that way. You know, I talked about this a little bit when I did the um, the Jewish Women's Theater thing, but you know, that's, that's collaborative, right? I'm sort of, I'm already getting off, off topic with this question, but just having a director say like, you're coming across angry in that moment. I was like, Oh really? I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, that wasn't my intention. So Hmm. if you can put yourself on tape and be really, really, really honest with yourself and really vulnerable, there's a chance you might be able to catch yourself, um, doing things that you intended to do and doing things you didn't intend to do. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you kind of mentioned some of the uh, some of the other ones, Trev, just like, you know, reading a play, but doing it out loud or reading a monologue, but doing it out loud, um, you know, what maybe watching, you know, a film and 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 paying, you know, very specific attention to one particular performer in that film and the choices that they're making and the kind of what they're what is so interesting about them that they got that they got cast in this part. Mm hmm. You know, so uh, yeah, those are just some like off-the-cuff responses. I'm curious to hear what you have um, to add to this trip.
0: Well, I I like that a lot. I do think there's a lot of value um, in uh, in um, writing as well, which is one thing I would uh, invite any actor to work on. And I find that most actors tend to also be gifted writers. They just tend to be better with language. They have an awareness around words and uh, emotional communication when it comes to language. And I I think that a great way to hone that is just, I don't know, to start a journaling practice or something. Um, Sometimes that can be really effective acting work because it is the process of self-examination and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, keying in on those times and places and circumstances that trigger us and what they trigger in us and how we can, you know, um, what we we can learn about human behavior from that. Because as much as I'd like to believe, you know, that I'm a... Beautiful, and unique snowflake. the The cold, hard truth is that most people are actually very, very similar, and so there's a lot to be learned about a lot of people by looking at yourself. And that's not to say that you are not unique, but but I think that from a sociological perspective, you know, we're not as as different as we think we are. I do want to caution, uh, just offer a word of caution against videotaping yourself. I think it's a really valuable experience. And so I'm with you on that AJ, but if it's if it's relied on too heavily, it can be damaging uh if there's no sort of trained second set of eyes there to help frame uh the visual feedback. Uh, and I know this from firsthand experience, because when I first got to L.A., I did the same thing. I was like, I've got a little camera. I'm going to film myself doing monologues, and I'm going to play it back and study myself. And I quickly, very quickly developed a deep self-hatred and self-loathing for myself on camera. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, God. Yeah, I mean, it sounds rough, and it kind of was. I mean, I I really lost a lot of confidence in myself because I was seeing all the problems with myself, and I wasn't seeing it from a trained, you know, objective perspective from somebody who had uh you know a little bit more experience in in what they were looking for so you know proceed with caution i think is the the moral of the story there
1: it can't be the only thing you do yeah, right it, yeah. can't, it can't be the you can't do that in a vacuum
0: yeah exactly that, and that was i think my mistake i wasn't reading plays uh, i wasn't reading them out loud certainly i wasn't really journaling i wasn't out in the world i was just doing monologues on a camera and then looking at my performance and it was, it was not healthy. So don't do as I did do as we say. Um, (laughs) There it is. (laughs) There it is. Hope that helps. Um, AC Krar. anybody who has anything to add to that particular question or response, we'd love to hear from you. I think this is something that probably many of us, um, contend with in our society, how to work on our craft when nobody else is around. What does that look like? All right. So, third and final question we wanted to respond to today comes from longtime listener and good friend of the podcast, awesome, awesome guy, Mike Bowers. Mike, thank you for writing in. Love you to death, buddy. And his question is uh, about finding an acting teacher. He says he's finally starting to submit himself for auditions and, and you know, really you know, light the fire under his career. Um, and he's kind of wanting to get back into class. And he says, money aside, you know, no financial considerations aside, if money were no object, how does one go about picking a teacher or coach to work with in LA? I mean, there's only about a hundred thousand of them, and even among friends, that the same teacher can be referenced with adoration or disdain, depending on, you know, who you talk to. So how do you find a teacher that's right for you without spending an arm and a leg trying to to find out trying out different ones? So the first part is if money were not an object, and the second part is what if money were an object <laughs> uh so let's start with the first part if money were not an object uh how do you sift through um all this noise to find a teacher that you really like especially when you know so many people can can talk smack or praise uh, the same person
1: well i was just gonna say if money isn't an object i would say go to the most expensive one like Okay. No, I'm just saying, like you know, if if you're really, if you're actually saying that, if you're actually saying it doesn't matter how much I spend, then you know maybe there's some fraud uh, or some you know some people who like aren't very good charging way too much money. But in my experience, when I look at the landscape, I always see like these people who um, are are very well known and, and and very good at what they do and therefore attract a lot of people end up creating this scarcity where, it, you know, they, can, they can't necessarily duplicate themselves and they can't, they're not going to spend their entire day, all day, every day teaching classes. So if they only teach a finite amount of classes, what's going to happen is their prices are going to go up. That's just like how capitalism works, I guess. Okay,
0: supply and demand. Um,
1: Supply and demand, right? So, anyway, <clears throat> that, I mean, I was half joking, half not, but uh, you know, there's, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that there are definitely some acting schools out there that are really, or uh, classes that are really expensive, um, and and there's a, there's a reason, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> so there's that. Is if, if money, you know, if money is an issue, and you don't want to, you know, go out and spend an arm and a leg, as as Mike says in the in the email, you know. <sighs> We've we talked about the, the fact that you can audit on the podcast before, um, or at least you should be able to. Um, so, I, I, you know, and there's a, you know, there's a few other things like word of mouth and talking to friends and stuff. So that I, I want to sort of try to come at this from another angle angle, which is to say that, you know, maybe it's about looking inside and seeing what it is that you want to accomplish and going from there. So in other words, if you're having a hard time with self-awareness and getting underneath the BS that you've built up on top of who you actually are, maybe it's, uh, you know, a class like Anthony Mindell's that's going to really support you, you know. But if you feel like maybe you're past that or, or you you know, you want to get better at um, cold reading, maybe it's a cold reading class. I mean I – I I rarely, rarely, rarely have to do a cold read so that I wouldn't find that necessarily valuable. So, you know, maybe it's about taking the craft and there's, uh, you know, another step forward and then finding a class that sort of focuses on that. So um, in other words, when you hear friends talk about a class, really ask the deep, meaningful questions that are going to connect to what it where you are in your life not necessarily just where you are in your craft but I mean do both mm. but but be willing to ask those types of questions like like when you if you like ask asking friend X hey friend X when you find yourself you know you're phoning, you're phoning it in you're you know you're bullshitting in in class does this teacher call you out on it and if the answer is yes and you're up for that challenge great maybe that's you know something you can check off the list maybe the idea is to make a list make a list of questions um that you're going to ask when when given the opportunity
0: yeah i like that a lot and you know there's so many different types of acting classes like when you said aj cold reading I realized that that this question was sort of very general in that sense in that it's more about just like acting teacher, but there's so many specific types. I mean, you've got commercial audition classes, you've got cold reading, you've got uh, improv classes, you've got comedy, you know, comedic classes, you've got, you know, dramatic scene study classes. Uh, you've got Shakespeare classes. There's so much to look at. So it, it really depends on what you're looking to accomplish. And I, for me, I always try to, or at least I'm inspired to, go after my weak spots. For instance, improv terrifies me, and I tend to be horrible at it. However, I've been told, and I think this is probably still true. It's been a while, but I've been told that uh, classical text, Shakespearean text, is something that that fits me well as an actor, and that I can I can do with a lot less effort. I can do convincingly, or to or do you know relatively well. With a lot less effort with improv is like, oh God, I hope I never find myself in a situation where I'm asked to improv, but give me a, a, you know, a sonnet and I can have that shit ready in like five minutes. So that's my situation. Uh, In that case, I would definitely look at improv. I'd be like, okay, I I don't want to be an afraid actor. (laughs) Hmm. I want to be able to walk into a room and have them be able to throw anything at me and be able to respond to that. So it depends on you know the situation so I would definitely follow your fear in that sense and then uh, you know like AJ said as soon as you know you get uh, either a positive or negative uh, response from somebody regarding a specific acting teacher really digging deeper and asking okay so why is that what is it about this acting teacher that you you love or or really don't love and if you collect enough of those responses and hopefully audit the class and hopefully not get charged for the audit I, I always feel a little weird when acting teachers charge actors to audit if it's a participatory audit then i kind of get it but i don't know it seems weird to it's like charging somebody to test drive a car it seems like a weird business practice to me i I guess i get it if you're like a big time um margie haber you know i think she charges for her audits and i i I guess i get that because you know supply and demand right she can but if if money is an object um then maybe you know err on the free audits first and and there are plenty of acting you can't throw a rock in la not hit an acting teacher and there are plenty who would love to have you in their class so lots of opportunities to for free see firsthand you know whether or not that acting coach is going to be a good fit for you and you know see the quality of the students are they on their phones the whole time <laughs> or are they or <laughs> are they you know circle. yeah or are they doing good quality work are they working are they just sort of teasing at this whole thing uh you know I think a lot can be gained from looking at the students as well I mean what's the saying I think uh Chris Lee one of our emotional intelligence trainers that we've both worked with AJ I think he says something like if you want to know uh what your results are going to be just look at your context your context, mm. meaning your current surroundings, what you have created for yourself and your reality, your comfort zone. Look at your mm. comfort zone and then you'll be able to predict your, your future results. Something like that. I uh, hope that gives you a, a good starting point, Mike. And anybody listening, if you've got some solid uh, thoughts on this that you'd like to offer to the community, hop in the membership and share away. Or, you know, we're, of course, on social media. And, of course, you can call into the podcast, leave us a voicemail or voice memo with your thoughts or email us and... We'll be sure to uh, bring this up again on an upcoming episode. Uh, anything else you want to squeeze in before we get out of here? No, nah, man.
1: Let's, let's get out of here. All right. Uh, all right. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, A.J. Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Timothy Patrick Waterman is director of public relations. Trevor Algat edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. And Fern Limb, designed our logo.
0: You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, insideacting.net. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and we gotta get on like the Google Play Store as well. Working on it. If you do nothing else, a favorable review in iTunes goes a really long way for us. iTunes is where most people, by and large, go and get their podcasts, and they they oftentimes choose whether or not to give a podcast a chance based on the reviews that they see there. So a favorable review, if you dig the show, uh, goes a long way towards helping other people sort of join the movement and community to build a really solid, awesome entertainment industry for all of us. And it also helps other people discover the show, too. So, uh, yeah your homework today is to leave us a review if you like the show
1: special thanks to our sponsors rehearsal pro and vo2gogo.com and thanks to you our listeners this is a listener appreciation episode after all or listener q a app episode after all if you love inside acting you want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of the podcast you can sign up as a member and get cool perks, like access to our private member community message board, invites to exclusive member meetups, like the uh, voice class we had last week. We're getting a list of names so we can thank you all individually, for those of you who showed up. Um, we had a couple people who were non-listeners there. That was That's exciting. Um, fun freebies, special bonus content, and much, much more, just for $7 a month, or sign up per year and get a little discount. Just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab to get started. You can also make a one-time, no-strings-attached tax, tax-deductible donation, if you'd like, by visiting InsideActing.net slash contribute.
0: And that does it for episode 249 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, follow your fear.